right. Well, welcome to Imperfect Action. This is Brock Edwards. And of course, this is the show where we are looking for ideas, information, inspiration to help us get out of our own way and really kind of take our, our careers, our businesses, our lives to that next level, whatever that is for us. And so I'm really, really excited for today's guest. We have Chris Kurtz. And Chris, um, it's a little bit of a tradition here, but do you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, well, I can officially say aloha, Brock, and thank you so much for having me on this podcast. You know, we've had a couple conversations, and I've really, truly been looking forward to this opportunity to connect with you. Um, by way of introduction, you know, I got to say, start first, I'm a dad, I'm a father of four, um, I'm a husband, I'm a human, and uh, I, I left the corporate world about five years ago, a little over five years ago, was when I was no longer a W-2 employee. And went out on my own, started a consulting company called Peer Through, really to help organizations with their online reviews focused on Glassdoor primarily. Um, you know, Glassdoor is a lot like Neil Diamond. You know, you either love it or you hate it, but there's no, there's rarely an in-between. And um, three years ago, a little over three years ago, almost by happenstance, we launched into another uh, business, which just recently became a nonprofit called do good, be kind. And uh, so I'm now also the chief kindness officer, a self-ascribed title, if you will, of do good, be kind. And we've been running that operation for a little over three years now. All right. So, and actually it's do good, be kind that ended up connecting us. Yeah, Um, absolutely. You know, I came across the brand a year ago, two years ago, uh, something like that. I don't even remember where I saw it. Uh, just love the the message, the ethos of it, you know, so all, all my family has do good, be kind t-shirts. And, um, you know, it, it strikes me, there's just not that many positive, optimistic brands out there. I mean, I, I think of life is good uh-huh. and do good, be kind. And I did a search, you know, before we started talking today and I, I came across a couple others, but frankly, I'd never heard of them. So they're very tiny. Yeah. Why do you think that is that there is, just and not and I'm not talking that there's a lot of negative companies out there, but there's very few that just really seem to grab onto the life is a great place to be, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, kind, yeah, kind of message. That, that ethos, you know, that's a really good question. I think part of it is I just had this conversation yesterday. Um, we've got a, a young recent grad here at BYU Hawaii who is helping with with some of our social media, and we were talking about this very thing, and we were talking about the difference between what's called high culture and low culture within society. So she gave me a great example, you know, things like life is good would be considered high culture. Things like um, do good, be kind would be high culture. And we're talking about the things that, you know, you go out and you pay it forward, for example, at Starbucks, or you do a good act of service with your family, or you as an organization, for example, you might mobilize within your work unit to have a day of service, whatever it might be. And that's, that's high culture um, environment. That's, that's a high culture action. And it may get some traction, right? If you think about social media, it may get a few likes, it may get a few shares. Some people are going to really connect with it. And then you have low culture. And I, I refrain from almost saying this, but low culture would be considered like, you know, something that the Kardashians may do something, right? Where, or you see a video of a kid who pushes his dad off of the bleachers, you know, on accident and the dad falls and, and that is, it's called low culture content. And in our society, for whatever reason, low culture spreads rampantly, you know, it just, it just goes viral. And so I think when you look at organizations and we're starting to see this really fascinating shift, if you will, with companies like Tom's Shoes would be a great example of this. You know, Tom's has an incredible ethos. Warby Parker is another example of this. Of Warby Parker, Bomba's socks is another example of this, where all of a sudden you have organizations who they are tying good things, whether it's kindness, whether it's humanitarian efforts, whether it's, you know, sharing of profits or, or the mission is more strongly tied to what they're doing. And they're starting to really make a dent, right, in within the business world. One, one organization I think of a lot, and they, we have a similar logo, is Cotopaxi. You know, Davis Smith is the CEO of Cotopaxi, a good friend. And, you know, here's another organization that their whole 
messages an organization to help end poverty through their business efforts. And they're now a B corporation. So B corporations haven't been around for a tremendous amount of time. You had two options where you could be a for-profit organization or a nonprofit organization. And, and each one has their own stigma, right? For-profits always had the stigma of a limited amount of good in the world. You have your nonprofits, which has the stigma of, you know, nobody makes any money, but it's a healthy, worthy cause. And we think of the, the Mother Teresa's of the world, if, if you will, you know, in that case. And, and now we have these B corporations, which are this hybrid of for-profit organizations who are committed to, you know, certain things within their bookkeeping, within their accountancy for a just cause or a good cause. And so with that, we see more organizations who are becoming B Corps. And it's a really awesome trend I think we see in the world. You know, Tom's is one of the very first ones that I think of, buy a pair, give a pair. Bomba socks, I mentioned them earlier. They've given millions and millions of pairs of socks away because we still know that that is the, the one thing that most homeless shelters lack the most and need the most of, right? Our fresh socks for homeless individuals. And so I think, you know, that's a long answer to your question, but, you know, kind of a two part. One is what goes viral the quickest and two, and you and I've had some kind of side conversations on this, you know, what is esteemed as success successful in our business world? You know, the, the tech startup is really sexy and it's really exciting. And then you have something that, you know, may not have the same appeal in the marketplace that has a tremendous impact, but it, it may be high culture and it doesn't get the same traction, but we're starting to see a shift. And I think it's a good shift for the business world in general, for all of us to recognize. Yeah. And that's a, a nice distinction, Chris, uh, in there, because you mentioned a bunch of companies that I hadn't thought about that are trying, striving to do good. Um, not necessarily as a lifestyle brand, just in how they're trying to do business. Yeah. And yeah, you know, you, you know, I, when you were talking there, I, I think of Patagonia and mm-hmm. some of their efforts and anyway, so it's a good thought, but even then all those fly under the radar, unless you know about them, you know, it's, it, it's almost a, a little, I don't know, cultural thing or a little niche there where if, if you're in, you know, but if you're not, you'd never know. Yeah, um, you're absolutely right. And, and you, you said it really correctly there, Brock, it's a cultural thing, you know, the root word being cult. And mm. so you look at people who buy Tom's. I mean, they've got this like cult following Warby Parker. I remember first time I heard about Warby Parker, I had a coworker. Uh, this is while I was at Glassdoor and she had just brought in a couple pair of glasses to try out, you know? And I'm like, well, why don't you just go down the street? She's like, oh no, I mean, I've got to get these Warby Parker uh, glasses. And it was everything to her to be part of this Warby Parker movement. And so I think mm. we also see these organizations that, not only appeal to our consumer side, but they also appeal to the ethos. And you find more and more people who are looking for it. We found this in Do Good, Be Kind. It's really fascinating, you know, organizations that are now saying, hey, we want, we'd like to be part of this, or we'd like this to be part of who we are as an organization. But I, on the opposite side of that same coin, I have many organizations who um, and I won't name names who have just come out and said, oh, it's too soft for us, mm-hmm. right? It's just mm-hmm. too soft, like kindness in the workplace. And I think part of it is this evolution where we're coming from the leadership of the, you know, let's say the 70s, the 80s, which is this staunch, hardcore Jack Welch type leader, where we have a certain mindset of what leadership has to look like. And all of a sudden, we're shifting more into this human age of, well, that that isn't the same model of leadership for everybody. It doesn't work for every organization. And so organizations are now starting to tap into, hey, we can be a good company. We can be good humans. Oh, and by the way, we can also make a a tremendous amount of money doing it at the same time, right? You can be both. So uh, tell me a little bit about Do Good, Be Kind. Uh, Like, I I love the name. Uh, That's what caught my eye to begin with. But, uh, you know, where did that come from? Where, Where did that start and where has it gone? Yeah. I, I call it the proverbial sweater thread scenario. You know, some, in fact, I was just sharing with somebody, if, if I could have crafted this and, and built it out from an MBA program, I, I don't think I could have done it, Brock. It really began with um, 2003, I created an email signature that said, do good, be great. And I would send that out. And periodically people would notice. 
And a few years ago, when I really just started to take a look at the political environment, the business environment, I made a shift. And I, I changed my email signature from do good, be great to do good, be kind. And one morning I came downstairs and my wife had printed for me a t-shirt that said, do good, be kind on it. She made it on a little, uh, you know, home press there that she had probably cut it out with her. She had a vinyl cutter, made this t-shirt for me. I put a picture of it on Instagram. And my whole vision at the time was people could buy a do good, be kind shirt with, you know, their company logo or my company logo on the side. I couldn't have been more wrong. And what was interesting though, is, all of a sudden I got, you know, three or four or five requests or whatever saying, Hey, I love that shirt. Love the message. Can I, can I get one of those? And so we would, you know, produce a couple shirts. I'd, I'd buy a few shirts. My wife was eventually like making a, she said, I turned my kitchen into a Malaysian sweatshop. She was just constantly pressing these t-shirts. We were giving them away. And I remember in April of 2017, a, a school teacher came to us. And she's the one specifically, she said, hey, I would love that shirt in about five colors so that I can wear it. Uh, she was a fourth grade teacher and uh, she said, I'd love to wear that in my classroom. So we gave, him, gave her these shirts. Um, about a month later, I get a call from her and I, I remember exactly where I was. I was in the Bay Area, I was driving and she called and she said, our principal loves this message and she would love to hear about your school program. Now, I've done corporate training. I've led sales teams for the majority of my career. And I've never in my life at this point done a school program. Never even crossed my mind. And I said to my friend, I said, uh, we don't have a school program. And she said, I know. But you do have an appointment on Tuesday at 1230 with the principal. <laughs> and I'm sure you'll come up with something. That's and, awesome. Um, you got to love friends. <laughs> Oh yeah, you know there's there there are those people truly Brock who push us before we're ready to jump, and it's only later when we we find that tenacity within ourselves, we find that bravery within ourselves that we can look back and thank them for seeing in us that the things that perhaps we couldn't see at the time. Um, I remember that meeting on Tuesday, and I have to share this because it really was a pivotal moment. We walked into this principal's office. There were two students sitting out front. And you remember from elementary school, you know, if you're sitting in the office, not with the nurse, not in the nurse's room, but in the office itself waiting, it's probably not a good thing. And here are these two, uh, two boys sitting there. We're meeting with the principal and I said, hey, you know, what's up with the, the kids out front? And the principal said, oh, she said, yeah, that's a third and a fourth grader. And they have taken a pen and they had sharpened a paperclip and taped it to the end of this pen to make like a shiv. I mean, we're talking like a prison style shiv, right? And they, we found out that they were planning on stabbing a fifth grader at recess with this thing. Now we're not like, this isn't an upper middle class, you know, suburbia neighborhood, North of San Francisco. And as we met with the prison, we started talking about things, you know, my thoughts were about these boys out there. And I thought, what are they learning or not learning? what brought them to this point to think that this is okay, that this is how they could handle this situation that got with this fifth grader. And then the principal said, you know, here's the problem that I see. She said, I've been in education for 19 years. So many parents no longer talk about basic values in the home, values of accountability, values of kindness. We can't talk about it in the school anymore. It becomes this very gray values area. And then she said, if we graduate a generation of students who can read and write, who know math and science, but do not know how to be kind to one another, we will have failed. And in her estimation at the time, she said, I feel that we are failing our kids. And um, see, I get choked up thinking about it. And I remember in that moment, I went, okay, we'll, we'll develop a school program. Um, I called my dad. He was an educator for 33 years. I said, dad, you know, I've never done an assembly. What do we, what do we do? And, and he helped me kind of work through, you know, some talking points and how we would present it. And the first one I love, by the way, I love this, the title of your podcast, right? Imperfect action. Because I will tell you the first assembly was a disaster. It was so bad. <laughs> my wife wouldn't say that but it, but it was right there were just some things I was like wow that was really bad but um 
we got through it and it helped us kind of refine, you know, what we needed. And since then I wrote a children's book and I used that children's book in elementary schools. And then I found another life story that I actually use in high schools. And I use that same story. I've spoken now at human resource conferences. I've spoken in private businesses. Uh, last year we did our very first quote unquote corporate training, believe it or not, with 90 police officers. I had a police chief reach out and say, Hey, we would love do good, be kind training for our police force. And, you know, I remember my first reaction, I said, well, you know, chief, I'm, I'm flattered, but this is kind of a soft message for a bunch of cops, don't you think? And, and we talked about, you know, what are our core principles and how would it be applied into what they're doing? And in the end, he just said, this is what we need. We need more of this. And um, so our message in schools and in business now, it starts with be accountable. And we use very simple, did you make your bed today? Right. I'll ask this in a business conference, by the way, Brock, and I still only get about a 60% response. You know, we're talking functioning adults, right? Did you make your bed today? Um, if you made your bed today, great. Like, what about helping with the dishes? What about putting the toilet seat down? I don't know. What about things like pushing a shopping cart back? Even if it's not your shopping cart, can you push it back? And these are the basic principles of accountability that we talk about. And then we go into, can you do good? What are the good things that we can do? And our third pillar that we, we discuss is being kind to yourself. And I believe that so much of the dysfunction that we see in corporations, in business culture, in breakdown in leadership, it stems from that self, the self-awareness, um, insecurities. And so when we talk about being kind to yourself, we, we focus on three things. Be kind to yourself physically, the things that you eat, the, the sleep and rest that you get, the things that you drink, the exercise you get. Um, be kind to yourself emotionally. How do you care for yourself emotionally? Do you give your emotions words? Are you aware of them? You know, it's fascinating when you look at, at men specifically, in boys, this emotion of shame starts to manifest in around second or third grade. And guess how it comes out? In anger in rage, right? I've got four sons and I, and I watch this. When one of them feels shame, they punch or they kick or they want to fight, right? We don't get, we don't see that same reaction in, in females and little girls. Well, boys who don't learn to deal with shame or don't learn to manage those emotions grow up to be men who abuse physically, verbally, emotionally, because they, they haven't figured out those coping skills. So we talk about being kind to ourselves emotionally. And the last thing we talk about is be kind to yourself mentally what are the things that you tell yourself um what are the words that we repeat over and over and we we give the scenario the human brain's phenomenal we process up to seventy thousand thoughts every single day and what's interesting is 98 percent of those thoughts are on autopilot you don't even think about it so you know one of the Basic examples I use is I'll have everyone, you know, you close your eyes. And if you're listening to this podcast, you can do this. It'll be a lot of fun. Close your eyes. And I want you to envision. Unless you're driving. Unless you're driving. Yeah. Yes. Well, if you're driving, <laughs> this will be fun too. Uh, close your, no, don't close your eyes. Um, but I want you to envision you get up in the morning, right? Come out of the shower, you tell up, whatever. And you put your pants on. And I want you to feel which leg goes in first. I want you to now mentally make note of that, right? So that is a, a total automatic autopilot thing that we do. I don't think about putting my right leg in first anymore until I bring your awareness to it. And then people go, oh, that was weird. I actually felt my leg going into my pants, you know? And I tell them, if you really want to trip your brain up tomorrow, if you want to make your brain work hard, put the other leg in first and watch what happens. You really have to work on it. Um, if you're driving, this is one of my favorite things. I'll ask this in a conference. How many of you have ever left your office or you're headed to a basketball practice or you're going to the grocery store, whatever it is, and you leave the home or you leave the office, you pull up to your destination, you put the car in park and you go, man, I don't even remember driving home. Yep. Right. Our brains see the signals. We're on autopilot. Now, 98% of our thoughts, hundred percent autopilot because our brain wants to conserve energy. 80% of those thoughts are negative. They're things like, man, I can't go on this podcast with Brock because I just listened to 
jury and I've listened to some of these guys and man, they're so good. And what do I have to share that's going to be of value? I can't talk to Lisa down in that department. I can't talk to my manager about this raise, right? I can't launch my own business. I can't, right? We, we tell ourselves these things over and over and this becomes a narrative in our minds. Um, we see this with students. I have no friends. Uh, wait a second. You know, I just saw five kids walk through the door and, and hang out for an hour with you. Of course you have friends. And so 80% of the thoughts that we have, and we carry them with them into adulthood, are negative thoughts. And so we give students, we give businesses these five affirmations. The affirmations are, I am smart. I am brave. I am grateful. I am kind. And I am loved. And I have emblazoned in my mind, um, you know, being in an assembly in Pennsylvania, and we're sharing this with the students, and I look in the back, and here are three teachers just in tears. Because here we are as adults, Brock, having to rewrite our own narratives sometimes, don't we? Here I am as a business leader, right? I'm, not, I'm afraid to reach out to my team. I'm afraid to have this difficult conversation. I'm no good with conflict. And so sometimes we have to rewrite this narrative. And maybe I'm no good with conflict translates into I'm brave, I'm kind, and I can take my kindness and I can take my bravery into this conflict situation. I may not control the outcome, but I can take these things into this conflict situation. Um, the next thing we talk about is being kind to others. You know, and once you've established this really good working baseline, I'm not talking about perfection of being kind to yourself, right? It's a, it's a, it's a lifelong journey and process. We talk about being kind to others. And what we're trying to do is activate that reticular cortex where we see opportunities, where we recognize the kid who's sad. Now, what I didn't share and, and, and part of this journey for me, I remember in 2015 and being in a really dark place in work. Um, and I remember one day we'd had this, this trainer come to our organization, a really amazing guy. And I just come out of that, that training. And about a half hour later, I got a text from my 15 year old son. And the text said, dad, I'm in the park. I'm in this park and I'm thinking about hanging myself. And, um, I'm so grateful to this day that I got this because I think about all of the parents, Brock, who never get that text beforehand. And it allowed me to text him back and say, hey, hold on. I'll leave work right now. I'm on my way, right? And I'm carrying with me this emotional thing that I'm working through at work with bosses and workplace politics and, and ugliness there. And all of a sudden, my, my priority and everything shifts to this 15-year-old boy. And so I go, we get home. We have this amazing conversation. And, and two things took place in that conversation. One, I learned that there were things that I had missed in my observation. And when we talk about being kind to others, one of the things we talk about is the difference between seeing and noticing. Hmm. When you listen to parents who have lost a child, when you listen to coworkers who have lost a coworker, they notice things in hindsight that they saw before, but they didn't take note of. Um, and we're really good at this as humans is we see things, but we don't always notice. And so I remember my son really wanted to beat this six minute mile. Like this was like a daily conversation. And he'd come home. He's like, I'm at 607. I'm at 606. I'm at 603. He's like, dad, I've got this today, you know? And the next day he came home and he had like scrapes down his arm and I'm like, dude, what happened? He's like, oh, I tripped, you know. Well, Brock, that was the last time he ever talked about the six-minute mile. And I remember asking him, I said, hey, what about that six-minute mile? Ah, oh, it's, it's, it's no big deal. Never talked about it again. And come to find out after this text and things we were working through, he said, dad, I didn't trip. There were kids standing beside the track and they would push me when I came by. And that's how I got scratched up. He said, but that wasn't even the hard part. Like he goes, and then I crossed the gym. I got beat up a couple of times in the gym. He goes, but that wasn't even the hard part. He said, the hard part was I would sit in class and the girl behind me would say things like, you should kill yourself. 
I can't believe you didn't kill yourself last night. You're such a fag. You should kill yourself tonight. You should do us all a favor and kill yourself. And he said, dad, that, that was worse than the physical bullying. Think about that for just a minute. You know, and I, and I put this in the context of work because I know a lot of professionals listen to this. In the context of work, we don't often have physical bullies, right? We can't. Yet bullying shows up in the same place, in the workplace, in the same way that it does in high schools and middle schools. It shows up in this psycho-emotional bullying, withholding information, blocking people out, words that we use, tone that we take, right? It shows up in the exact same way. And sometimes it's overt. Sometimes it's things like yelling or, or mistreating individuals overtly. And sometimes it's way more covert than that, how we bully in the workplace. But the, the damage, and I think about my son, this, the emotional and psychological damage for him was far greater than the physical damage of getting tripped on the track. And so we talk about this concept of being kind to others. Number one, do you notice do you notice when a colleague shows up for work, are they, are they down? Are they carrying a heavy load that perhaps we didn't see before? Um, are they up? Is something good happening in their life, right? Do we need to ask them about it? Do we need to celebrate that with them? And, and this concept of you know, situational leadership, so to speak, it, it plays out in that. Do we notice that they withdraw themselves more from group activities or do we notice that they withdraw or they don't participate because of you know family obligations, whatever it might be. And we take notice of these things. And so the first thing we talk about in being kind to others is, you know, give people the benefit of the doubt. My favorite question in conferences, and I've asked this to thousands of people now, I'll say, but by show of hands, how many of you this morning when you were getting ready to come to work, you know, you're shaving, you're putting on your makeup, whatever it is, you're driving to work, how many of you, and I want you to raise your hand if this is you on the podcast, how many of you looked in the mirror and said, when I go to work today, I'm going to totally suck. I'm just going to do a terrible job. I'm just going to suck at responding to emails. I'm not going to suck at this project. I'm just going to totally suck, right? And I can tell you, I actually have had one person <laughs> raise their hand and maybe they were disgruntled. I don't know. But nobody does that. We all are trying to do our best, and some of us are stressing out about aging parents or finances right now or job security or teenagers who are trying to find their way, right? We're, we're all trying to navigate these things. And so when we talk about being kind to others, especially in the workplace, we talk about give them the benefit of the doubt, you know, work through conflict. We don't talk about forgiveness enough in the workplace, I, I, I believe. And then the last pillar that we focus on is um, being kind to the world around you. And man, these organizations that we talked about earlier, you know, Tom's, Patagonia, great example. You know, sustainable farming, sustainable cotton growth, sustainable dyes. This is all part of being kind to the world around you. And um, as you mentioned, I, lived, I live in this really amazing place on the North Shore of Oahu because, well, well because my wife sold everything one night while I was training to be honest with you and said we're moving to Hawaii but um, you know I look here I look at what washes up on our beaches I look at you know the consumables that we have and the things that we go through and just maybe really aware of the choices that we can consciously make to be kind to the world around us but even more you know as organizations this has to be a primary focus you know for for all businesses is to elevate this this concept of stewardship and the resources that we have as well so that's a lot, but that, my friend, is do good, be kind in, in, uh, in a long diatribe. How's that? Awesome. I didn't realize it was that big of a question, and it is, and I love it for it. Um, so th there's an interesting paradox happening that you're describing, and I'm trying to get my head around it. You Maybe you can explain it for me or, or help me kind of process it. Um, you mentioned that kindness is soft. And yet everything that you described is deeply human and deeply powerful. I mean, you, you talk about teachers having a physical reaction, you know, it's that there's a visceral reaction, just hearing the story about your son. Like none of that is soft. <laughs> like that's hard. That that's hard. really, 
really difficult. And, you know, grinding away, you know, getting up, going to work, whatever. Um, life has ups and downs, but man, some of that stuff isn't that big, but hits really hard. Like, like it's yeah. almost like, um, you know, humans are wired to deal with the big things. Like we have floods, we all <laughs> pitch in, work together, overcome. Yeah. But those little things that, that just grind on you, you know, classmates making fun of you, coworkers just being unpleasant, um, you know, wh- whatever it is. Um, I don't know. I'm just trying to get my head around on how on one hand we can say, oh, kindness, we don't need that. And yet if you spend 30 seconds talking about it, it just hits you hard that, yeah, we need a lot of it. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're going to, I couldn't be more passionate about this. You know, I think about my own experiences. I, I dislike that we call them soft skills in the workplace. Um, I'm going to give you an example of something that happened recently and it was a, a little over a week and a half ago. Um, and I, I hope it's okay that I share this, but I had a, a former manager of many, many years ago call me. And at the time when I worked for this manager, you know, this is why I talk about how we treat each other and the psychological, emotional impact. Um, he, he was what I would call a, a true workplace bully. Um, and I, I was treated really horribly, you know, by this manager. And I remember, you know, when we talk about this, we talk about the impact of this coming home at night and in my business workshops, we talk about work-life harmony, that when things are in harmony, when things are good at work, I'm a better dad. I'm a better husband, right? I pet my dog more as opposed to, (laughs) you know, being unkind to my dog. I'm just a better human. And when things are bad at work, man, I I, I might drink more. I'm less patient with my children. I'm less tolerant of things. And, And things are out of harmony. I remember that time in my life just wanting, trying so hard to find this harmony with this boss. And when you think about, you know, being kind, being easy, 17 years later, I got a phone call from him. Now he's in the twilight, if you will, of his career. And he's looking at the next step. And as we're talking on the phone, he says to me, there's something I really need to tell you. I said, what is it? And he said, I treated you really poorly when you were there. And he said, and I'm really sorry about that. I'm sorry for how I treated you. And interestingly enough, you can see I'm okay with my emotions, right? We both cried on the phone. And he said, you know, I I didn't understand you. I didn't take the time to understand you. And to realize that your approach to things were genuine and, you know, and, and he said, I, I did, I mistreated you. And I'm really sorry about that. And those are, when we talk about soft skills, you're right, Brock, paradoxically, that's hard to do because we're bringing egos, we're bringing narrative, we're bringing past experience, we're bringing what we believe leadership should look like, you know, tough, infallible, you know, admit no wrong, whatever it might be. And, um, and you have to break that narrative and break it down to where you can reach this this place of kindness and kindness doesn't always mean uh, delivering the nicest news or the news you want to hear either. I think about one of the most kind things from a leader standpoint that ever happened to me was a CEO who sat me down and said, you don't have the political support in this organization to get to where you want to go. You know, and and I was in my mid thirties at the time and it was hard to hear but I look back on it now and I think what a gift, what a gift that that CEO was kind enough to tell me that, Hey, listen, you want to get to Mars here. You're going to get as far as the moon, <laughs> you know? So if you want to go to Mars and beyond, it's going to have to happen outside the organization. It's not to say you have to leave. You can stay as long as you want. I just have to let you know that, you know, you may not get to that rocket ship may not get to Mars while you're here. And, and sometimes that's what kindness looks like in the workplace. But again, it takes a lot of courage as well, right? I am brave. I am smart. We come back to these principles every time. Yeah, it's, it's funny that um, kindness resonates with me different than nice does. Like if it yeah. were do good, be nice. Yeah, that, that, that's a good message. But 
I think of kindness and niceness different. And, and I was thinking about this today. I mean, it occurred to me, and I, I don't know how far I, I can stretch this, but, you know, as you were just saying, you can be kind. That's not necessarily nice. And right. it also occurs to me that you can be nice. That's not necessarily kind. I mean, you yeah. know, and your story is a great example. The manager could have been nice. And right. that would have almost been cruel to, to just let you continue thinking you had a future in the company. Um, yeah. And kindness, I don't know. It's, you know, I, I like, I like words and we don't hear it enough. And I think that's why it stands out. Yeah. Um, at least for me. I mean, I, I don't know how it hooks other people. Uh, you know, Brene Brown talks about uh, nice cultures, you know, organizations where the culture is nice. And, you know, those are interesting places because what she says is that in, in nice cultures, uh, we don't talk to people. We talk about people. Right. Exactly. Which is not kind. <laughs> yep. Yes. Yes, and, Exactly. And, you know, it's, so there's just this weird dynamic, like we, we try to be nice, we try to be good to each other, and inadvertently we end up being not nice, cruel, um, it, 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 you know, at least inauthentic, and, um, and yet kindness is often very difficult, you know, just as you were saying, because sometimes that means telling, uh, you know, the brutal truth in a way that's yeah. not brutal. Yeah. You know, I, I think about this training that we did with these 90 police officers, right? You know, let's go back first to be kind to yourself. Um, I'll never forget, you know, I'm in this room with, you know, people who I respect, you know, every time they pull me over, I'm in a cold sweat, <laughs> you know, and this is before everything we see in social media. But I remember asking them, would you like to share with us within the group? What do you want to work on with regard to being kind to yourself? You know, it's fascinating. Here's, here's an officer and I remember him saying, he says, I, I, I wrote down, I want to be kind to myself um, physically. And I said, you know, tell me about that. That takes courage to share in front of your peers, first of all. And he said, uh, look at me. He said, the whole donuts and cops thing, it's real. He says, people are bringing us food all the time. They're buying us lunches, you know. And, and he said, I'm, I'm not happy at the weight I am right now. And that has a huge impact on things. Um, you know, we, we began with that. And once we kind of, establish this element of trust within the room where we could talk about what individual wanted to work on with regard to being kind to themselves. You know, for one, it was being kind to himself emotionally. For one, it was uh, taking more time in the mornings to write poetry. Um, I, I didn't see that one coming, you know, just this strapping police officer. He's like, yeah, man, I'm, I was a great poet. I wrote a lot of poetry and I'd given that up for work, you know, because we create these habits of jump on my phone first thing in the morning, whatever. Um, but once we once we establish this area of trust, we then can work on, to your point of this element of conflict. And um, I'm a huge fan of Patrick Lencioni and his work around conflict. But in conflict, one of the things that we do is we talk about setting norms. And you're right. Organizations that are nice, we talk around people. We talk about people. We avoid the conflict because we're nice. And organizations that are kind... I know what the conflict rules are. I know that it's okay to come to you. I know that if I ask for space to work through something, you're going to respect that. Um, you know that I don't like being yelled at and I don't like you yelling the F word at me, for example, right? So we, we set these, these norms and these rules around it. And once we know what the rules are, it helps everyone to be a little more kind and play within those, you know, that, that sphere as well. You know, earlier, and I, I apologize, I don't remember if it was before we started recording or after we started recording, but you had used the term emotional heavy lifting. And I just mm. wanted to dig into, I mean, first off, what does that mean for you? Emotional heavy lifting. You know, I, I think for a lot of, we're all emotional creatures. Um, and the more science and the more research that comes out about this, um, I do a lot of personality work. People will say, well, I, I make decisions purely based on numbers. And that's BS. You make decisions based on your gut because we have this reptile brain, as you know. That's where it comes from. We make a decision based on our gut, based on emotion, and then we rationalize it either with numbers or we justify it with uh, concrete evidence. That's just how our, our, our biohumanics work. Um, 
So this emotional heavy lifting, I think it, it's it's the place that you have to go to to start to recognize and be comfortable with your emotion and to see it for what it is. I had this really fascinating experience um, last Saturday. We got we went to this rock up on the north in Waimea Bay, and you can jump off this rock. And there's a recent college grad out from Illinois, and he sat there, Brock, and he was just terrified. And when I say terrified, I mean he was adrenaline pumping, muscle shaking to jump off of this rock. And I sat down with him and we did some deep breathing. We did some visualization work. I spent 30 minutes. I didn't have anywhere to go, right? So I'm here. I spent almost 30 minutes with him, getting him to a place where he could jump off the rock into the water. And when he came out of the water, it was just as we had envisioned it. And he let out this huge yell. And what was interesting is we came to the, to the beach. We, we walked out together. And I thought he said, I need to go to my car. This is a grown man, this is an adult man. What he said was, I need to go cry. Wow. Right? I need to go cry. Because all the emotion had just, poof, the top's off. Yeah. And I said, do you want a hug? And this guy like, hugged me, total stranger from Illinois. I don't even know his name at this point. And he just shook. And my eight-year-old even came over and goes, oh, that's a long hug, you guys, you know, but he just shook. And when we talk about this emotional heavy lifting, one, we have to allow ourselves to be in a place where we can allow others to have emotion and be safe with our emotion with others. This isn't to get, you know, all emotional or whatever it is. The other thing we have to allow, and I, I put this out recently, I wish more people would say thank you instead of I'm sorry. Brene Brown talks about that. And he, on this rock, when he didn't jump, he kept looking at me saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I said, you know what? Instead of saying, I'm so sorry, why don't you say, thank you for letting me choose to walk down instead of jumping. Thank you for recognizing that, man, this fear of heights, this fear of jumping is really big for me instead of saying, I'm sorry. And so when I talk about this emotional lifting, I think it encompasses all of these things where we shift the mindset of, I'm sorry, I'm late. I'm sorry, whatever, to thank you for holding that space for me. Thank you for letting me process this emotion. Thank you for not making me feel a certain way. And that goes externally as much as it goes internally. And, and when I say emotional heavy lifting, it's, it's reaching this place of, you know, when your spouse or your coworker does something, instead of a natural fly off the handle reaction, holding space, taking a deep breath. I would do a lot of breath work, <laughs> taking a deep breath, seeing what the emotion really is. Um, I wish I had a concrete answer for you on that. And maybe that's why I don't, you know, I, I think about this emotional heavy lifting because I think about my boss that it took 17 years for him to come to a place to call and apologize. You know, and we had a, a great conversation. Maybe that's what some of that emotional heavy lifting is about is uh, recognizing, right? The humanity in each other and being comfortable enough to put our ego in place uh, to show humility in, in those ways. So from, from your experience, Chris, from your perspective, um, I'm curious, kindness is so important. Why are we so bad at it? Uh, particularly self-kindness. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to go back to driving home scenario and, and not recognizing our way home sometimes, meaning we get in the car, we drive home and we don't think about it. We have these patterns of habit that are ingrained in us. Some of it's from our childhood. Some of it's how we see each other treated. Um, some of it's how we were treated and taught and raised and disciplined. And when I talk about that emotional lifting, sometimes we have to rewire those inner states that are in our brains that tell us that this is, when someone treats me a certain way, this is how I react. And so when you ask this question about, you know, why is kindness so hard? Why don't we see more of it? Just turn on the news. Look at social media. Look at what teens are tweeting to each other. Um, one of the greatest causes right now, Brock, of teen suicide, in a time, by the way, of isolation, 
continues to be bullying, cyberbullying. They're not even together in school and they're still cyberbullying. And this continues into the workplace. So why does it continue to be that way? You know, we have to undo, we have to come to this place of emotional heavy lifting for ourselves. Really understand what, who our identities really are beyond the workplace, beyond what social media tells me who I am, beyond who my, what my job title tells me who I am. Redefine what our values really are and be willing to do that hard work to then live them, you know, in a way that's authentic and, and uplifting for those around us. And, and it's, it's hard work. It's a rewiring work is what it really is for so many individuals. So what's next then? Like, so, so, and I, I know that's a big question, Chris, so I'll dial it in a little bit for you here. Corn dogs, Brock, corn dogs are next. <laughs> Um, my 20 year old son who I'm grateful that he texted me uh, we're starting a corn dog business in Bend Oregon where he lives because his job fell through because of COVID Um, we're going to start there no in in the vein of what we're talking about what's next um, we keep going my wife and I multiple times have had to come back to to the table and say "Do do we end this you know, and I love what you talk about when you talk about imperfect action. I, I don't want anyone to, to have to walk away with this notion that we started this, that we sold a t-shirt and we're billionaires, right? Those are the, the 0.00001% stories that you really hear. Um, multiple times we've come back to the table and said, okay, we're, we're providing for certain individuals within, within Do Good Be Kind. How do we do more of that? Um, we've wanted to walk away from it multiple times. We wanted to pull the plug on it multiple times. I mean, this thing is just bleeding cash, right? <laughs> and, um, and yet we keep coming back and saying, no, there is a need for this. There is a story that we get almost weekly from a workplace, excuse me, from a colleague, from a stranger. Every week a story comes in. And so when you say what's next, right now we're really in this place of how do we amplify the message more? How do we let it be safe for people to rally around and be part of in their own way? Um, And so our, our next, as we see it, is how do I create more a club in New Zealand and in Japan at the same time that we're creating clubs in California and Idaho where they can get the same message and, and same uplift and how do we do that in the same place in a workplace where more organizations say, yeah, this is needed and we're totally cool having Do Good Be Kind as part of our workplace culture. And, you know, we have one business, RX organization, three years ago, they asked if, if they could use our shirts and co-brand. They asked if they could have a day of service. And if you want to say what's next, it's more business leaders having the courage to do this. Um, October 25th, I'll never forget 2018 was a day of service for RX worldwide. They had 5,000 of our shirts and we literally watched in our social media messages in Russian, Korean, Japanese, Australia. You can see where I'm going, right? For 24 hours, we watched as acts of kindness and service went around the globe. And the cool thing was with that organization, they said, how do we make this successful? And we said, don't dictate to your employees how they have to do it. Don't count their timesheets. Let them go serve and watch what happens. And uh, the response in-house was amazing. And the next year they said, can we invite community members to now be part of this? This is the, this is the guy on the skateboard drinking ocean spray, by the way. This is the free advertising that marketing people are always trying to come up with. And it happened organically. So What's next for us? Scaling, getting the word out, um, being thankful for people like you, Brock, who see it, bring it into your home, live it, share it with your family and share it with other people. We're so grateful for that. Well, there's a lot more we could talk about here, Chris. Um, That seems like kind of a a good note to wrap up on though here. And so let me ask, so for people who are curious, people who want to know more, uh, about you, about Do Good Be Kind, where can they find you? Yeah, you can always find me on LinkedIn 
at uh, Christopher Kurtz, obviously. But more important than that, you can find us at dogoodbekind.org. Uh, that's org. It was L-I-F-E for so long, but dogoodbekind.org. If you just Google do good be kind, you'll find us. Uh, we're on Instagram, dogood.bekind, here on LinkedIn. And um, the if you'd like to contribute in some way, if you'd like your organization to be part of this in some way, uh, we have a partnership link. Reach out. We'd love to work with more organizations. And through the organization work, help our message get into more schools with more students who truly need. And I'm not even going to say need the message of kindness, more students who need the message that they're loved. More kids need to hear Brock that they're loved. And we can't move fast enough to let them know that. So I, I feel like we've just spent this entire conversation answer, answering my next question, but I will ask it anyway. And that is, um, if you had an ask of the listener, what would it be? What could they do for you? My ask of the listener would, number one, if you have someone in your life that you haven't given an eight-second hug to, a spouse, a child, somebody recently, go give them an eight-second hug. It has tremendous power. Um, number two, and I'm going to start with just where we began. Do that heavy emotional lifting to really love yourself and use these five affirmations, however you need to, uh, that you are brave, that you are smart, you can figure it out, that you are grateful, we're grateful for you, that you are kind and you are loved. That would be my ask of the listener. And then that feeling that you have, Truly, let it let it flow into other people and, and into your life. Let this be a invitation to live this message of doing good and being kind. It's not just about be. You know, we we could have put a shirt that says "Be kind" and Target, and we see those all over. But our very first word is do. And there's so much um, there's so much for all of us to do to make a difference. That would be my invitation. All right. Well, Chris. That has been an awesome conversation. Um, thank you. No, thank you, Brock. What a treat and what an honor to be on here with you. Thank you so much.